On the eve of Friday the 13th, 1995, four teenage students took a walk into the desolate woods near the campus of the University of Tennessee. Three of them are said to have belonged to a satanic cult, and the fourth, she was a teen from Florida who only tagged along for free weed. But what happened to her in the woods that night has sparked a fascination that has spanned over 20 years. What is up, Ewu crew? Today, we are going to cover a horrific crime spurred by jealousy, one that would leave a young girl mutilated with a pentagram carved into her torso and a missing piece of her skull taken from her body. There is no doubt that evil showed its face in the Tennessee woods that night in 1995, but did the devil make them do it? Let's get into it. Krista Gale Pike was born March 10, 1976 in West Virginia. She was raised by her devout Christian grandmother and her playground was the slaughterhouse where her grandfather worked. As a child, Krista was allegedly abused by her grandmother's friend, Ernest. And sadly, it is speculated that if this abuse occurred, it may have started when she was still in diapers. At the age of 12, her grandmother died, and following, it is believed that Krista attempted to take her own life for the first time. Stricken with grief, it was later reported that Krista began to self-mutilate in different ways in an attempt to cope. Matters only worsened for her when she had to move in with her mother, Carissa, who at the time was a licensed registered nurse and was allegedly an alcoholic. They did not have a great relationship, to say the least. Krista's mother ended up taking her troubled young daughter to see a shrink. However, most of the shrinks that Krista visited didn't provide enough aid when it came to her mental health. Things were only worsened by the revolving men in her mom's life. In an interview, Krista recalled one of her mom's boyfriends saying, he made this leather strap with a wooden handle on it specifically to beat the hell out of me with. And he made this thing and hung it up on my bedroom wall like it was decoration. All of these factors undoubtedly were influential on Krista's psyche, which may have led to her demonic shift in behavior. Krista, when 18 years old, was enrolled in the Jobs Corps program at the Knoxville campus of the University of Tennessee. In the 90s, Job Corps was described as providing vocational training for disadvantaged youth, giving them a chance for a promising career. Krista was there to study nursing, following in her mother's footsteps. It was here that Krista would meet Colleen Slemmer, who was enrolled in the same program. To say that they were friends would be inaccurate. Krista suspected Colleen was attempting to seduce her 17-year-old boyfriend. The boyfriend, to Daryl Shipp, was caught in the middle of this love triangle. At one point, Krista had traveled back home for a holiday, while Tadaryl stayed behind in Knoxville. It was only because of Krista's absence that he turned his attention to Colleen. He later admitted that he and Colleen did hook up during that break. However, he never confirmed the fling to Krista, leading her to act upon only her suspicions. In an interview, Tadaryl can be heard saying about Colleen, 
I didn't even know she existed. She approached me. Friends of Colleen Slemmer denied that she was attempting to snatch away to Daryl from Krista. But with obvious tension between the two young women, Krista attempted to extend an olive branch to Colleen by offering her some of the cannabis she had stashed away in the woods. But that was not Krista's true intention. The bag of weed she claimed was hidden was only the hook to reel Colleen to her grim fate. The night before, Krista admitted to her friend, Kim Eloilo, that she was planning on killing Colleen, adding, she just felt mean that day. Enthralled by the occult, it wasn't just Krista that voiced her sinister interests. To Daryl, a few days prior to the incident, would tell another student that he had to make a human sacrifice because the celestial bodies were in alignment. At approximately 8 p.m. on Thursday, January 12th, the four students signed out of their dorms, Krista Pike, Tadaryl Ship, Colleen Slemmer, and another friend named Shadola Peterson. Colleen, with the hopes of getting high with the group, didn't appear to have a problem walking into the woods. They led Colleen to an isolated area in Tyson Park near the University of Tennessee campus. It was here where the grisly acts would unfold on that chilly Tennessee night. The tension grew thick between the group when Krista confronted Colleen, accusing her of wanting to steal her boyfriend away. As Colleen again denied the accusation, she quickly realized that they weren't in the woods to smoke pot as she had eagerly anticipated. Krista and Tadaryl were armed with a small meat cleaver and box cutter, while Shadola stayed on the perimeter as a lookout. They were ready for a fight. Suddenly, Krista grabbed Colleen's head and slammed her face into her knee. She then threw Colleen into the ground and with an unrelenting fury, kicked and punched her mercilessly. Colleen cried out, why are you doing this to me? As the forceful blows continued raining down on her. Laying in the mud and sobbing, Colleen mustered the strength to stand and attempt to escape. She tried to run away several times, but to no avail. The first time resulted in Krista slicing a long cut across her back. Her attempts were also thwarted by Tadaryl, who intercepted Colleen and pinned her to the ground. It was here that Krista unsheathed the box cutter blade and sliced Colleen once again, this time across her stomach. Colleen begged Krista for her life, telling her that if she would let her go, that she would, quote, walk back to Florida without stopping at Job Corps to pick up her stuff. Krista told Colleen to shut up, saying, it's harder to hurt someone when they are talking to you. She later admitted that the more Colleen tried to talk, the more she kicked her in the face. The unrelenting and brutal torture paused momentarily when Krista thought she heard a noise in the nearby woods. Colleen was left lying on the cold, damp ground while Krista briefly investigated the sound. It was shortly thereafter that Krista returned and proceeded to lacerate the helpless girl's throat, cutting it several times with the box cutter. Amazingly, Colleen once again found the strength to sit up and plead for her life, and even attempt another escape. But as soon as she started to flee, 
Krista threw a rock, striking her squarely in the back of the head. Tadaryl then joined in and hit her with rocks as well. Krista explained how, after regaining control, she remembered the specific sounds of Colleen's labored breathing. A medical examiner later described how Colleen was drowning in her own blood. After about 30 minutes, Tadaryl took the box cutter and carved a pentagram into Colleen's chest as their final mark. The medical examiner later testified, saying, The area around each wound was red in appearance, indicating that the heart had still been beating when the wound was inflicted. He added, None of the aforementioned wounds would have rendered the victim unconscious. With every slash across her skin, Colleen surely felt the agony of all the horrors that were being done to her. She suffered through nearly an hour before Krista picked up a large chunk of broken asphalt and repeatedly struck Colleen in the head. As Colleen's blood collected on the cold forest floor, her pain and agony finally came to a chilling end. While Shadola kept watch, Tadaryl and Krista dragged Colleen's body to a nearby area where there was a cluster of trees and she was placed on top of a pile of dirt and debris. But before leaving the site, Krista took a piece of Colleen's fragmented skull and placed it in the pocket of her jacket as a trophy of what she had just done. Allegedly, Satanists believe that the body must be whole for the soul to be released, and by taking part of Colleen, her soul would be kept captive. Then, they removed two of her ID cards and a pair of black gloves that Colleen had been wearing. Tadaryl and Krista rubbed the mud from the bottom of their shoes over the bloodstains that covered their pants in an attempt to hide any evidence. After leaving the isolated part of the University of Tennessee campus, they walked to a nearby Texaco gas station to dispose of the ID cards and gloves. From there, they returned to their dorm rooms around 10 p.m., as if nothing happened. Four people signed out that night, but only three signed back in. Once back at the dorms, Krista revisited her friend, Kim Eloilo. This time, Krista wasn't feeling mean, as Kim had described before. Instead, she was dancing around in circles, smiling and singing. Like an eager child wanting to show off, Krista bragged to Kim of the atrocities she had just committed earlier in the night. She even showed Kim the piece of Colleen's skull that she had taken with her. Colleen's butchered remains were discovered the next morning by a university employee. Initially, thinking he stumbled upon an animal carcass, the man went in closer for further inspection. In horror, he realized he was looking at a human body when he noticed the naked torso. At 8 a.m. on Friday the 13th, Knoxville police arrived along with the university campus police. One of the first responding officers described Colleen's head, saying, I thought I was looking into her face, but everything was so badly mangled I couldn't be sure. Krista was careless in more ways than one following the murder. She returned to the scene of the crime the next day, only to be denied entry to the part of the woods she intended to go. Later on, she left behind her jacket, the same one with a piece of Colleen's skull in an administrator's office on campus. 
The jacket was turned over to the police where they discovered the piece of skull. All three students, Krista Pike, Tadaryl Ship, and Shadola Peterson were promptly arrested within the next 36 hours. Krista was the first to be questioned. The talkative teen waived her rights to remain silent and admitted she was at fault for Colleen's death. Her entire confession, once typed out, was 42 pages in length. As if that wasn't enough proof, police found Colleen Slemmer's blood soaked into the jeans Krista had worn that night. A cooperative Krista took police back to the Texaco station where they found Colleen's ID cards and also accompanied them back to the woods to describe the events in further detail. Into Daryl's dorm room, police ended up finding a satanic Bible. The trial took place on March 22, 1996. Krista was prosecuted by Bill Crabtree, an assistant Knoxville County District Attorney. In his opening statement to jurors, he began explaining that the evidence within this case is of an act so vile, so heinous, so atrocious, so despicable, as bad or worse as anything you've ever seen in a movie, read in a novel, or dreamed in your worst nightmare. During the trial, Krista cried continuously in front of the courtroom. The tears didn't have an effect on the jurors, as it only took a few short hours for them to deliberate and convict her on both charges. The jurors described the young girl as having an angel's face, but a devil's heart. Krista Pike was found guilty of first-degree murder and given the death penalty on March 22, 1996. Tadaryl Ship was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole, and Shadola Peterson received probation since she agreed to become an informant against the other two. She pled guilty to being an accessory after the fact. At only 20 years old, Krista became the youngest woman to be sentenced to death in the United States. Only a few days after finding out that she would be executed, she sent an unsettling note to Tadaryl Ship, writing, Please write me. I miss you so much. You see what I get for trying to be nice to the I went ahead and bashed her brains out so she'd die quickly instead of letting her bleed to death and suffer more. And they fry me. Ain't that some Please write me and tell me what you're feeling. Also, tell your lawyer if he wants me to testify for you, I will. Love you for the rest of my life. Krista signed off on the letter as Lil Devil. As the frenzied spectacle surrounding the satanic killing died down, Krista Pike would capture the media's attention once more. On August 24, 2001, after five years into her sentence, Krista attempted to kill again. She was almost successful in strangling Patricia Jones, a fellow inmate, to death. She claimed she didn't intend to kill Jones, but in a phone call that she made to her mother, she can be heard saying, I bet you if she gets near me, I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna succeed this damn time. See, now I know the difference between premeditated murder and what happened with Colleen. Cause see, I premeditated the hell out of this. Sure did. If I'd have had 30 more seconds, I'd, we'd have a little chalk line out there in our wreck pen and that bitch would be gone somewhere. 
Again, a trial took place and another guilty conviction for attempted first-degree murder was tacked onto Krista's already inescapable death sentence. At this point, her defense team extended an appeal to the federal court system. They requested that her fate be life in prison and not execution. They argued that she had mental illness and that capital punishment as administered in Tennessee is unconstitutional. But it was the last ditch effort Krista had to beg for her life to be spared. The legal team representing Krista's fight centered their defense on testimony, attesting to the trauma she suffered at an early age. Dr. Jonathan Henry Pincus, an expert in neurology, testified to the appeals court that Pike's brain had underdeveloped frontal lobes. It is in this part of the brain where a person's sense of right and wrong is managed. Pincus said this was the result of Pike's mother abusing alcohol while she was still in the womb. He argued that this, combined with a turbulent adolescence, is what's to blame for Pike's actions. The appeals court upheld the previous ruling and sent Krista Pike back to death row. And Krista Pike remains the only woman in Tennessee awaiting execution. Although she has exhausted all of her appeals, she affirms that she should not be put to death. Now, 25 years later, Krista Pike remains locked away in her small concrete cell, contemplating all the events that have transpired in her life. Regret, remorse, acceptance. Krista Gale Pike will likely one day eat her last meal, walk her last steps with shackled feet down the cell block and take her final seat in the electric chair. Colleen Slemmer's family will then receive peace knowing justice for their daughter's heinous death will be finally and fatally served. Although the devil himself may not have been responsible for Krista Pike's actions that January night so long ago, it was the demons of her own torturous past that may have led her to forego logic, reason, and all sense of human decency. <laughs>